Goobba Gobble. We accept her, we accept her. Goobba Gobble, Goobba Gobble. One of us, one of us. Goobba Gobble. They're going to make you one of the fried peacocks. Hey everybody, welcome back to Uncanny Cinema. We are continuing on with our Halloween spookening offerings here for the month of October. We have done Boxing Helena, Vampire's Kiss, The Deadly Spawn, and now we are moving on to Freaks. And if you haven't uh, listened to last year's Halloween offerings, we did uh, five films back in October. So you go back uh, on you know Spotify or iTunes or something, and you can find our previous ones. And then all throughout, um, you know the, the episodes that we've done, we've done tons of horror. So there's plenty that you can uh, listen to for that. But those are the ones we've done currently for this October, and we are launching into Freaks this time, the classic Immortal Freaks. Um, I say classic, but, uh, you know, it's classic as kind of an underground film. And I would say it's arguably like the first cult classic, really. It, um, we'll talk about this more go, you know, later on. But it basically had a reemergence in the 60s. And then since then, it's um, been looked at very differently from how it was perceived when it originally came out in the 30s. We have all these things like Rocky Horror in the Room and all this kind of stuff that caught on after the fact, either for good or bad. Freaks was arguably one of the first to do that, and it's kind of maintained that uh, you know cultural cachet since the 60s, but again, kind of an underground thing. Um, a lot of background information on this one. I'll just hit uh, a handful of kind of bullet points here before we launch into this. Directed by Todd Browning, that is the director of the Bela Lugosi Dracula. He also directed a very good silent movie called The Unknown. He did a movie called The Unholy Three. He did The Devil Doll. He did London After Midnight with Lon Chaney, which has famously been lost. It's supposed to be good, but all prints have been lost decades oh, wow. and decades ago. So uh, check your attic if you uh, <laughs> yeah. if you have a print of... Uh, of London After Midnight. It's probably worth millions of dollars. Um, and then uh, Browning himself was a former sideshow and vaudeville performer, so that ties in with uh, him doing Freaks for this one. Um, he also had a lengthy career in um, in silent film, and then he like got into talkies a little bit. So he had a long career. Those are some of like the highlights. The writers of this, it's written by Willis Goldbeck and Leon Gordon, Goldbeck also co-wrote the script for the Western, The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance. Very famous Western with John Wayne, Jimmy Stewart, and Lee Marvin. And Freaks, the, this film, is based on the short story Spurs by Todd Robbins. Um, and then, uh, let's see, a few other background things I'll throw out here. Uh, so basically, Todd Browning makes Dracula, Universal release Dracula is releasing Frankenstein, Bride of Frankenstein, the the horror, uh, you know, the Universal Monsters kind of series is blowing up. After the success of Dracula, MGM goes to Todd Browning and basically gives him a blank check. Like, what do you want to do? What do you want to make? And what he wanted to make was freaks. And so they kind of like let him run wild. And that's how we got this movie. They were not 
particularly happy after the fact and having to deal <laughs> with during. deal with well they were having to deal with it and then also it uh, it was not successful it had a 310,000 budget it made 340,000 so it was ultimately a box office failure um, but it has gone on to become like I said a true cult classic it's really one of the first films of that distinction uh, it's now critically praised and studied. It's There's often a focus on the depiction of the freaks, and it is now in the National Film Registry. So it has attained that level, which is pretty high, especially for like a failed film, and a failed film with as bizarre a subject um, and focus as this one does. I mean, this isn't just like, oh, Citizen Kane, you know, didn't make enough at the time or whatever. It's like, you know, this was basically an underground thing, but now is, you know, in the National Film Registry. Um, last thing I'll throw out here on the top, this is a pre-code film, and that means it is before the Hayes Code. The Hayes Code ruined movies for about 30, 35 years. Uh, it was an attempt to clean up Hollywood after various scandals, and there was a religious push, and so they took out sexuality, violence, language, and about anything else fun, and uh, <laughs> that was in place in like the mid 30s to about the mid 60s by the 60s it was starting to be ignored and by the late 60s they revamped it and it became the mpaa with the rating system but uh their pre-code is a term in hollywood that's used of like movies that exist prior to the adoption of or the actual enforcement of because there's a few years of gray period there uh, actual enforcement of the Hayes Code and pre-code films tend to be better because they're actually adult and they actually do things and they're more daring and uh, <laughs> there's violence in them and sexuality and there's like it pushes the boundary. Um, basically, if you've ever seen European movies in like the 40s and 50s, I mean like, oh, this is an old movie, but there's like stuff in it. Um, yeah. That's kind of the <laughs> direction Hollywood. <laughs> that's kind of the direction Hollywood was going. And then they enacted the Hayes Code, and then it kind of just made most Hollywood movies uh, stilted and bad. Not all, but a, a, a good, fair amount. Uh, we'll say most. Um, but yeah, there are pre-code pre ones that have kind of a harder edge. They'll get more violent. And so it is kind of shocking if you haven't watched any pre-code ones that you'll see things where it's like, whoa, wait a minute. I would expect this in a movie from like the 60s or 70s, but this is like 1930. Mm. So Freaks is an example of that. The Great uh, Island of Lost Souls, which we'll do on this show at some point, is another example of that. There's many others, but the uh, pre-code films and those movies right on the borderline, like I said, have some sexuality going on. They have violence going on. There might be some language. They just have generally like adult themes. All right. So that's enough of that. That's some solid background for Freaks. We'll launch into plenty more as we go along. I'm going to introduce my panel here. I've got joining me the uh, couple boys over at Revenge of the 90s who've been uh, on numerous episodes we've done, and we've done uh, partner episodes. And as of this recording, I just was posting our illustrious Nothing But Trouble episode, uh, which uh, and is And I was quite just fun. posting, and we just had our Quick Change episode come out. So, oh, really? Okay, I didn't yeah. see that. Yes, I, I still have to post about it, but yeah. So it's a, it's a real uh, blockbuster week for us. I'm at the corner of First and First. How does the same street <laughs> intersect with itself? I must be at the nexus of the universe. <laughs> <laughs> All Stay right. there. I so, will find you. 
So, uh, yeah, so we've got uh, these guys joining us. I have been trying to get Steve to watch Freaks for a solid two years or more, <laughs> and he's had my DVD copy in his home for that length of time. <laughs> so, uh, so there's that. But also, I felt uh, both these guys would be fitting because uh, Freaks is a famously kind of out there movie and like daring movie. And like I said, sort of one of the first cult classics. And I believed neither had seen it. I knew Steve hadn't. I didn't think Fabs, yeah, you, had. you hadn't seen it. Uh, and, you know, these guys tend to uh, be pretty fun on episodes. I thought it'd be fun to show freaks to two people who are big movie hounds and people who can have fun with it, um, but people who have never actually seen it before. So uh, that's why I've got them on. So uh, welcome, Fabs, coming back. I'm not sure you're the last one you were on, but welcome to Freaks. You thought we were going to be fun, but Steve and I are here to talk about the good book. <laughs> the Bible. Um, Fabs only watches Hayes Code films. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, actually, it was. I'm glad you gave that background because I was utterly flabbergasted after watching this film, <laughs> and I immediately went to Wikipedia to learn about it, and so that's where I learned about the, all the pre-code stuff. Yeah, uh, and it was super interesting. This movie, and I'm not saying this to be hyperbolic. This movie, I think, has like changed me forever. <laughs> like I, I've watched it two I and a half times. It. I've watched it two and a half times in the last three days. Um, every night since I've watched it, I've dreamed about the characters in this film. Um, I don't know. Like I, I think about it almost every hour. Um, I don't know. It's just it's so bizarre and fantastical, and I just like. I don't something about this movie, man. I just like it is so weird, and I love it so much. And I'm I had seen that scene before, like the famous one of us, one of us, because they they use that in Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah, and I was like, oh, that's like from something. And then I was like, oh, it's from Freaks. And the context completely changes and becomes so heartbreaking. Yeah. When, all right, all right, we'll get we'll get we'll get all that. Yeah, all right. I just put so thank welcome you for Fabs. having us watch this. <laughs> And uh, in the words of Bart Simpson, cool, I broke his brain. You All did. Right. Um, also joining us is Steve, uh, finally hey. watching Freaks yes. after all this time, and you will need <laughs> yeah. to bring my DVD copy into work. I have that, and the uh, the other one that you loaned me, um, which I'm blanking on. The, what was it? A the, face uh, in the Crowd. Face in the Crowd, which I actually did see, so I did watch yes. that. So, um, yeah, I'll get your DVDs back. And I owe, Wait, did you I watch you... the DVD, Steve? Yeah, watch or did you DVD. watch the streaming? Okay. Yeah, I found it on streaming. <laughs> <laughs> I've actually It's been on like, HBO Max. Yeah, my kid no, uh, actually my kids destroyed the DVDs like two years ago and I've been desperately trying to find the copies ever since. <laughs> so I just keep holding off. Um, that is not true, by the way. Uh, but I do owe you some comics as well that you let me borrow. Uh, but anyway, thanks for having me on. Um yeah, I I don't know if I've, I I can't say that my life's been forever changed the way Fabs has, but I would say that after, you know, I mean, bringing up the code stuff is interesting right off the bat because, you know, when you're watching this movie, especially like the, and I won't, I won't say too much about it, but when you're watching like even the last like 10, 15 minutes, you're like, this movie's doing things that like, you just don't, you just don't see from older movies. Like it, it's like a movie that exists yeah. in a different time. And, um, I mean, it's fantastic. I, I, I love the shit out of this. I'm very excited to talk about it. Cool. All right. Yeah. Well, we will uh, 
we will launch into this. Um, I'll, I guess I'll, you know, uh, we'll, other things are going to come out. There's a lot of background stuff to this movie. We can talk about the plot and everything, but there's stuff kind of swirling around it. But uh, beyond what I already said, I'll say, uh, so the movie was screened, um, I think just a handful of times. It had like a premiere and it was screened maybe a few times after that. But after it was screened, the audience supposedly felt it was like too grotesque. And we'll get into the plot and what happens in it and all that kind of stuff in a moment. So the, the studio, against the wishes of Todd Browning, took the 90-minute cut, the original 90-minute version of this film. They took it away from him and they chopped it down to 64 minutes. Now, the version that I sent around and the version I've always seen is 62 minutes. And so I was seeing that and I saw that discrepancy. I was like, wait a minute, what? But when I was looking up um, like where you could watch this for streaming, like archive.org had the 64 minute version. Hmm. It's not really anything different. It's just they open with this big like scroll of text that's kind of putting circus freaks in like a context. Oh, but okay. Okay. Um, my copy, the DVD copy doesn't have that. Other versions of it, I, I don't have it. You don't really need it because without it, it just drops you right into the story. And so it doesn't really, I, I frankly didn't watch it. I just saw what it was. And I was like, it was mm-hmm. going to be two minutes of just them talking about the history of stuff. And I was like, ah, I'm good. <laughs> yeah. But so that's the, that's the extra two minutes. Um, and then there's some like did you different see, variation. Did you see from like the cut? So I, I actually, I, cause you can't find it obviously like the, the original cut. But yeah, uh, there was a few descriptions of scenes from the original cut. Have you yeah, seen we'll like, go. What? We'll get. Yeah, yeah, we're gonna. Yeah, we'll get into that heavily later. I'm gonna hold off on that for now. But yeah, basically, they took a 90 minute cut, chopped it down to 64 minutes. They actually shot a few new scenes and sequences to bring the running time up a little bit and to alter some of how alter and kind of soften the film in certain ways. We'll talk about that. But sadly, the original 90-minute cut no longer exists. So like, um, what was it, London at Midnight, right? London yeah. London After Midnight, yeah. Like London After Midnight, that's just gone, um, which is, is really crushing for any fan of this film or any fan of film, period, and knows of freaks, because that would be, you know, kind of true Holy Grail territory if they were able to unearth an original full cut, because I don't know what else was in it. I know some of the things that were in it and they talk about it, but some of the things I've read don't account for 30 minutes of footage. So I don't know how much more, I mean, some of it might just be sort of like you're spending time with characters and maybe it's not the most interesting of stuff, but I'm still just very curious and tons of people would love to see it. So yeah, original 90 minute cut brought down to 64 to 62 minutes, depending on the version you see. Um, also this movie was banned in the United Kingdom for over 30 years. It was labeled as quote, brutal and grotesque in Canada. And it was banned in Australia and it's probably been banned in other places, but those are the ones that I saw. And then, um, before we open up the floor, I'll just throw out a couple other things. Well, really quick. Did you see that it is still technically, did you see that it's technically still illegal to show this movie in some States? Like, so, yeah, I didn't see a breakdown. I have not seen the breakdown of states. Yeah, sorry. I haven't seen the breakdown of states. I was trying to look that up. But, like, yeah, so basically, like, 
because they're law they pa- they pass laws to not show this film and they just like never re- repealed them because of laziness so there are still technically pockets of the country where like a view a, a showing of this would be illegal if someone were to enforce it but yeah i thought that was interesting yeah yeah that's cool and i mean there's all kinds of those like dead laws on the books usually you read about them when there's some kind of horrific thing where it's like you know uh interracial marriage was ha, ha, is still banned you know in some county yeah, or something right. and they never removed it and that kind of stuff but uh yeah so that that is the case on freaks uh last thing i'll throw out there the movie doesn't have any stars they looked at a couple of like leading ladies of the day for one of the key characters one of the leading ladies just like flat out begged to not be put in it she did not want anything to do with this and like was telling the studio head like don't make me be in this movie the director ended up wanting to go with unknowns basically anyway he didn't want any big stars this movie as we've alluded to here and based on the title focuses on circus freaks and circus folk a lot of like carnival people um, but largely people who would have been classified at the time as freaks and still even so some who self-classify that way if you go to like coney island and places like that there there are people who still like hold the tradition of freaks as a thing alive um but so there are real circus freaks real carnival people and real vaudeville performers in this movie many of them this is the only thing they ever appeared in um but there are a handful of people who were famous for some other stuff uh schlitzy was um they referred to as pinheads they're real people and characters within the film who have like a uh you know physical disability schlitzy was like a famous barnum and bailey personality Hmm. um there are two dwarves in this film harry earls and daisy earls they were both munchkins in the wizard of oz their whole family and frida yeah, yeah, so they had they Brother had uh, siblings as yeah yeah, and they had siblings as well, um, and they were all dwarves, and they were like uh, you know just like a family of performers, but those two are also in the Wizard of Oz, and then probably the most famous person associated with this movie is Angelo Rosito, and uh, I would think at least Steve would have recognized him, but maybe not. Mm. This is uh, there is a dwarf character in it. And he pops up at different points in the film. That actually, Angelo Rosito is Master Blaster from uh, Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. He's Master. Oh. He's the he's much much older by the time 1985 sure. Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome rolls around. So that's 50 some years later. But here he's you know in his 20s or 30s or something. Um, but yeah, so okay. uh, Master Blaster is uh, in this film. All right. Oh, cool. That's some background cool. I'm throwing out there, but I'm going to open up the floor. What do we make of Freaks? Go Fabs. You got it. I got to hear what your thoughts are here. Okay. So it's, I've always been fascinated by um, like circuses and um, sideshow stuff. I, I don't know why I've, I just remember going to um, the circus a bunch as a kid uh, and then at the state fair uh, in Ohio and um, just thinking it was like really interesting. And then I remember going to a like a traditional sideshow. I don't remember where we were, but they were like, see the world's smallest horse. And then like we paid for it. And it was just like, 
definitely just a dog like dressed up to look like a horse. And I was like, oh, wait, are these like scams? And my parents were like, yeah, none of this is real. Um, but I'd still like, I would still do research about Equilax. it. And... Equilax. <laughs> yeah. It's a real house of a thousand and corpses. So, yeah, thing. This, um... <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, so, yeah, this was just, I had no idea going into it what this movie was about. So I was immediately drawn in to just the world that the movie takes place in. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I like, well, I know we're going to get into the, like the later scenes, but I, what I like about it is if you don't know or don't have an inkling of like how it's going to end, nothing in the movie is like overtly like of the horror genre. Nothing of it, nothing really in it is like terrifying, but just like, there's this uh, ambiance, like this this presence where you're just like, I have like bad vibes throughout this movie. Like, like this is going to turn. And everyone who's like very lovely, all these like quote unquote freaks who are like very lovely, I feel like this is going to become dark. And that's what's cool about it. Like I was on, I was on edge the entire movie. And it's also like a really fun, fulfilling movie that's 64 minutes long. Yeah, I can't say. I, yeah, I the 90 minute cut, I would imagine would probably feel a lot longer just because this one's so tight, tightly told. Um, I, I mean, the, really the reason that it works is because Browning has that background in vaudeville and, and being a circus performer. And so I think he's the only person who could do a movie like this at that time and portray the characters with the care that he does and, and turn them into sympathetic um re- even like relatable characters um you know I, I i was like fully engrossed in hans and frida and and, and their story i thought everything else was <laughs> yes. like fairly ancillary and was just kind of like well whatever but like i genuinely thought it was like a really great story that was being told there and i think it's like at the time the movie you know people you know a woman i read at a test screening said she had a miscarriage because she saw this movie at a test screening and she tried to sue mgm so like (laughs) there's that but like but what's interesting what's what's like interesting is that people well it's like you know the, the the only reason people had like these reactions is because like they were being forced to confront that like people like this exist and it's like you know the other it's that fear of the other and by like putting real people into that it makes them even more aware of it. And like, you know, people didn't like that. So what's interesting is that this movie takes that and of course turns the quote unquote normal people into the mon- the true monsters. Um, but I, I just felt like the reason that it works the way that it does is because it doesn't portray the, again, we'll just, I'll just call them freaks. Cause that's what they call them in this. But they, the, the reason it works is because they don't portray the freaks as freaks. So to me, that it's not like an abuse of these people and what they're dealing with and you know whatever their affliction might be or whatever um it's actually uh makes them very sympathetic it makes them um people you maybe try to understand a little bit and i don't know i mean it's like i have no answers for this but it's like it's hard to know that people like that deal deal with stuff like that in real life you know people are dealt certain hand in life like the human torso it's like that's a hard i mean prince randian prince randian who apparently also rolled his own cigarette in the longer cut but yes in addition to lighting it but i don't know it's like uh coming up yeah 
but yeah, no, I mean, it's um, it's a movie that just like makes you confront a lot of that stuff, and so it's it's definitely like it's a tough watch for like that reason. Like I I, I wouldn't argue that it's a tough watch because a lot of the reviews that I read for it, it was like, oh, this is tough to watch, and I'm like, well, what do you mean by that? Because like you're just being you're just being asked to watch like these people. I mean, really, that's that that's what Browning's trying to like make it and. It, I find it weird that a lot of reviews are like, this is hard to stomach. And it's like, well, why? Uh, it doesn't seem to me – that seems like yeah. a pretty messed up way of describing that. Well, and, and even by the end when stuff goes down, which we'll save to talk about you know, later on in the episode here. But even by the end, you know, it's good. It's, I mean, it's great. There's stuff that's incredibly effective. But there's way more graphic and worse shit in – horror movies than what we see by the end of this film so yeah i mean anyone who's saying like this is i can't stomach it it's like that kind of says something about you yes probably yeah yeah that's what i'm like you know these are just people you're watching on the screen here i i can't obviously there's like the ending but that and and i will say that's what i'm saying though that that the ending is haunting but the ending's nothing compared to as great as it is the ending's nothing compared to like fucking horrific horror movies that are yes an hour and a half two hours of just totally. you know like us saw movies are more uncomfortable to sit through than this i would argue yes. oh 100 um, yeah and yeah but even like modern reviews say that so yeah. again yeah it's it's a very like it, you know i would argue problematic way people might view this movie but yeah um yeah i don't know i mean and again that's probably like part of the point so, uh, yeah, so for me, uh, one thing that Steve touched on there, and I was kind of formulated as he was saying, but, yeah, the, the central characters, there's two dwarf characters, uh, Hans and Frida, right? Uh, yes. Yeah. Um, so they're kind of like the central plot revolves around them and a couple other characters. But, yeah, Steve, you mentioned, like, the rest of them are ancillary. But as I'm kind of thinking it through, it's like it kind of operates like a Robert Altman movie where you see these little pockets, these little stories that are going on, and you just have this, like, big tapestry that you're working with. There's a center focus, but then you have all these, like, kind of side stories that, like, play out in their own given ways. So uh, structurally, it's kind of interesting, especially for the time, because I don't know how often that was done. Um, I haven't seen any, like, critiques on that, but I, I wonder how often that was done as a device that early where you had these type of like big cast um, where you had these big casts where it was just like an ensemble piece with, you know, tons of different characters. But beyond that, I would say, you know, freaks is a movie that I've saw years and years ago, probably when I first started getting into movies, probably, you know, maybe in high school or something came across that this was like a daring movie, a challenging movie, a cult horror movie kind of thing. So I know I've owned it for years on DVD, um, but I'm sure I saw it probably through the library or something before owning it. But yeah, I very much love it. Um, Steve mentioned that uh, Steve or Fabs are both mentioned that this is a movie that does things that movies of its time didn't do and is like a lot more daring and things. I know Steve, um, not to like call you out, but I know you particularly like you don't love a lot of like older films and it's a struggle sometimes yeah. like you you know like you did end up liking 
a face in the crowd and you seem to have loved freaks. So my, my track <laughs> yeah. record is on point here. <laughs> yeah. Um, yes. Although you did make me watch, uh, what was that one you made me watch? The, the Indiana Jones prequel. Oh, but we weren't watching that to enjoy it though. <laughs> <laughs> that was that secret was secret of the Incas. I don't secret, like that yes. movie either. Okay. All right. <laughs> we were watching that for a reason though. That's our secret yeah. of the Incas episode. Watch uh, yeah. find that one. But, but yeah, I mean, and, and I'll, I'll say for myself, like, I, there's plenty of film people who can appreciate older films that I just find utterly boring and I don't give a fuck and I never want to watch them again. But <laughs> Freaks is something that I have come back to many times, will come back to in the future. You know, it's a tight, you know, hour basically. Um, it doesn't really meander. It's not necessarily like, not every scene is like, oh, this is fantastic, but it still keeps you engaged. Even though the director had chunks cut out of it, you know, against his will and everything. And that sucks. But yeah, the, the story of it, the balls of the ending, the characters are interesting. Um, just in general, I think it's just like a true classic oddity in different ways. And then, uh, yeah, I mean, deserves the recognition it's gotten, um, you know, since it originally came out. Have you ever heard the one of us chant in a different medium or a different scene other than Wolf of Wall Street? I feel like it's been used quite a bit, right? Yeah, I think a lot of stuff had a lot of stuff's referenced it. The ones that, um, so you know, if you haven't seen the film, there's one of us, one of us, Google gobble, Google gobble. We'll talk about that we scene coming up. Her, yeah. But uh, it's you know, it's a famous moment. You've likely heard that being said by people or referenced. I think it's definitely been, I mean, if you go on IMDb, there's like a long list of, you know, things that have referenced freaks in some way. But uh, the ones that pop out other than um, Wolf of Wall Street probably most recently did it in a very famous way where they're sitting like in a boardroom and they're chanting it. It's in an episode of The Simpsons, a very early episode yes. of The Simpsons, and it's okay, in yeah. an episode of South Park. So okay. modern audiences would likely be familiar with it since those are Simpsons and South Park. Everybody's seen episodes and they're repeated all the time. So, you know, I feel like people... I've said it before growing up. Like, I feel like it's just part of like the lexicon. I feel, I feel like that's yeah. just a phrase people know. I, I, I've, I've heard people do that before, you know, when like you're introducing a new friend to the group or something and they do something yeah. that, like, every, you know, they get in on the inside joke or something and everybody chants one of us. Um, so it's weird to think that probably nobody has any clue where that came, where that may, might have originated. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, I, I think right. it's, oh, it's from The Simpsons. Well, I think I, mean, yeah, I right. think film film people like. I mean, it's a very famous scene from Freaks. So like, film people know, but yeah, like it just in terms of it, just like seeping into like culturally. Yeah, I mean, like just people's moms aren't going to know. For instance, you know <laughs> yes. that, that that kind of barometer of like, would would my mom know this thing? Yeah. Um, <laughs> So, uh, One but yeah, us. <laughs> family, come on, everybody. We're all sitting around to watch freaks at Thanksgiving. It's a perfect, yeah, I, I was hoping, but... I was hoping you were sitting down with Malcolm for this one again, Steve, like you did on <laughs> sorry to bother you. Yeah. Right. <laughs> He's getting a little too aware, although freaks doesn't have anything that he, that he would, that would give him nightmares. I, I don't think unless the guy, unless he sees the guy swallowing the sword that, that may be putting the fire out yeah. on his face. It would depend. This is iffy. The other thing uh, Steve touched on that I want to throw out there is he was talking about like the presentation of the freaks in this movie 
And that's a big way that this movie is very subversive for its time. We are meant to empathize with the freaks. We are meant to see them as regular people. I mean, obviously we recognize that they have like afflictions and problems, things like that. But the movie takes great pains as a lot of critics have pointed out, like modern critics, they just show them like, oh, here they're just eating. Uh, here one of the characters is giving birth and they're all like, oh, we got to go see the baby. And there's all these like very, you see at one point a woman uh, has no arms and she just has legs and you see her eating dinner just as she naturally would with her feet. And she's like incredibly dexterous with her feet. She can like pick up a wine glass and drink from it. I mean, it's like some of these things are like amazing to watch. That's just her regular life. And the movie presents it as, yeah, that's what she would do. And mm -hmm. so it's not that kind of point and laugh. It's not the demonizing way that we often see in, if you watch like a Tales from the Crypt episode or anything where it shows like carnival freaks and they're meant to be creepy or whatever. It's presenting them in a very prosaic kind of normal, like, you know, they just, oh yeah, they're, they're doing everything that you know. Um, that's pretty fucking bold for 1932. That was not the mm -hmm. like... People went to freak shows to be horrified. People went to freak shows. They, they went out of favor. I read a book on it once, uh, I think post-World War II, but up to World War II, they were still very popular. Um, but I mean, That's people, later than I would have guessed. Yeah. Uh, I think it was what basically was it? just kind what of- What was the year? Uh, well, I, I read a book or a couple books on like carnival freak shows, and I believe it's like post-World War II. I think it's like, I think World War II just okay. sort of disrupted- you know, a lot of entertainment. And so it's just like, there's not, not as many people here and not as much money. And we got the war effort. And so like, I think there weren't as many carnivals and stuff. And then after world war two, I think people were one, not people who'd like come back from the war and seen shit or had like lost limbs, weren't like gunning to go look at freaks. So I, you right. know, like the, it, it yeah. was a different atmosphere. So there was that. And I think it, it also, that was culturally where, they started to look at it as, oh, maybe we shouldn't like laugh at these people. And mm. like there started to be somewhat of a shift. But um, but yeah, 1932. Well, and it's also still sorry. It's still wasn't that also. Well, I, I, was, I'll just say real quick. Uh, yeah. 1932 is still full on freak shows like across the country. You could see them. So Browning doing this where we are to sympathize with the freaks and then we are to find the like characters who are presented as young and healthy and attractive that they're the monsters they're the bad people is pretty fucking daring and is and it plays very well today in 2021 but i'm not surprised that the audience of 1932 were like fuck this i'm not a bad guy like you know, like that was part of the reaction, I think. But Steve, you're asking something. Well, yeah, sorry to interrupt, but uh, I think also this is like during during the eugenics movement too, where there was like an active sect of the population, and you know, the idea of like selective breeding and stuff that like these were like wholly undesirable traits that people were like terrified yeah. of, <laughs> you know, and like trying to like literally breed themselves, breed people out of it. And, uh, I mean, it's horrible yeah. shit that was going on in the early 20th century, uh, that again, I think, like you said, I think lasted through about world war two. And then we did a bunch of other horrible shit, but that one ended. And then, 
but yeah, yeah, no, I mean, I think that that plays a big role in it too. It's like you're you're looking at like the height of that time where we were just mental illness or uh, deformities or um, anything like that was treated, you know, with uh, I mean, disdain might be the nicest way to describe it. Yeah. So yeah, no, I mean, it's it's incredibly. Well, I can't make, even imagine what sense. like an audience would have seen. Yeah. It makes sense that like that that would have been a form of entertainment and like cuz you're talking about the great depression. So it's like your options for entertainment that's affordable is like a a 5 cent movie or like a a carnival comes to town or a circus comes to town and um you know it's like let's go like that's can let's look at these people you know, it, the, the, they have it worse off. So, like, makes you feel good about yourself. And especially if you're not viewing them as, like, wholly human, which is, like, obviously horrible, but um, not super surprising with how people are. Um, but you know, post-World War II, there was that, like, a group of people who are just like, yeah, it's great we won the war, but, like, at what cost? Like I used to be able to go see a freak show for like ten cents on the weekends, and yeah. like, <laughs> right. now this country's changed, changed man. Yeah, I fought from the war for this. <laughs> what What did I go over there for to keep my freak? I want to see a right. bird lady. All right, Todd Browning, freaks, huh? <laughs> this woke bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Every every town's bearded lady was suddenly gone for these veterans coming back. It's like I don't even recognize this place anymore. <laughs> yeah, and they're in like you know they're in Germany, and it's like I just like what are you excited about? Are you excited to see your family? I just can't wait to get back there and see like a Siamese like two hot Siamese women. Yeah. <laughs> Look, there was a time, man, where I could go into a carnival tent and see a pickled punk, which is an aborted fetus in a jar. <laughs> that's what got me off the. That's what got me through those beaches on Nor- in Normandy, <laughs> coming back to see my pickled punk. That is a real thing, by the way. Look it up. Look up pickled punks. It's uh, that is crazy. Lot, most most of them were fake. It was a uh, yeah, most of them, but not all. Um, all right, so since we're kind of on this area, um, I'm going to throw out another little background thing on it, but I think it makes sense to talk about the people who are in this. So just talk a little bit about each, uh, not each, but like any notable characters, and we can talk about you know how they appear and how they're depicted and that kind of stuff. But I will say uh, we're talking about how society you know, viewed freak shows at the time and viewed people who would be in freak shows and how they viewed this film. So this was shot on the MGM lot and people on the MGM lot were very bothered that the freaks were coming into the commissary, like and having lunch, they were unsettled. Supposedly there's a story where uh, F Scott Fitzgerald, who was there like as a writer for scripts Mm -hmm. sees um, uh, Siamese twins, conjoined twins, women in this film. Supposedly, he sees them in the commissary and gets like physically ill and has to leave the room. Mm-hmm. Which I read that it's like it's not necessarily that it's, it's it may not be true, but the crazy thing is if it were true, it's like because of conjoined twins, that's just like two people who are like right. just they're just stuck together at the hip. Like, what's even the big deal? Like, that's that's nothing. Right. 
Um, but yeah, people were bothered uh, on the MGM set. So they struck a quote unquote compromise so that the normal ones, the more normal ones were allowed to eat in the commissary. So that included, that included the dwarves and maybe some of the actors um, who weren't actual like freaks in the films, but the rest, they, they, they set up like a tent outside in a lot. And so that's where they had to eat lunch because Jesus. we couldn't have the freaks mixing in with the normies. So that happened. Yeah. Well, and I think uh, I don't remember which of the f- freaks had uh, their favorite actor was on the MGM lot filming a movie or something and like tried to approach them. It might have been Schlitzy, actually. I don't know. I think it was Schlitzy. Yeah. yeah. And uh, Schlitzy was actually a man, uh, but they portrayed yes. him as a woman because he had, I think, some incontinence issues. So he's where was why he's wearing the dress. But um, I think he always wore it in uh, in his act or something okay. too. I don't know. So yeah, so you know, uh, went up to the went up to this actor or whatever, and of course this person acted like horrified. But even um, I was reading uh, the woman who plays Cleopatra. So Olga Baklanova, she yes. did an interview at one point where like she basically said the same thing. She was like it was really hard to work with these people. I was, I mean, she went so far as like almost say she was like sickened by the entire thing. She was like, I was having nightmares and, um, you know, it was really difficult. And I think she passed out the first time that, because Browning reintroduced her to everybody. was like, don't pass out this time. But oh so, my God. Yeah. So like well, the, the, the thing, the thing I saw on, on her and it maybe I may have read something different than you did, Steve, it, it painted her in a better light. I just want to put it out there. The thing I saw was she said Browning was like very slowly introducing her to different cast members and it was like and he was kind of warning her like that she'd be like shocked and she said she was like nearly brought to tears just I mean I think she was like bothered but also like sympathetic Sympathetic. but she did say but she did say by the time she was like working with them, she like embraced them all. And like, you know, so she like, yeah. I think she had, cause it was just the culture she was right. living in. I guess, I guess and then, sense. so she got over the hump and then was just sort of like on board. I get it. I get it. Like I was, I didn't, yeah. I yeah, didn't want to no, paint her too bad of a, life. yeah, I'm just saying, I, I think she was better than, you know, totally. the people in the commissary. So. Totally. Um, which by the way, and I guess, you know, I'll just throw this out there since we're talking about her now. I, I was looking at her IMDb profile. I saw that she is in The Man Who Laughs. Yes, she is. So. Uh, the Man Who Laughs, uh, if you have not heard of it or seen it, is largely seen as the inspiration for the look of the Joker. It is based on a Victor Hugo novel. Um, the movie's pretty boring. I tried to rewatch it again, like last Halloween. <laughs> I was going to say, can we do that? Just, but <laughs> it's <laughs> it's mind. not it's not good. But <laughs> but it does have some fantastic makeup effects of what it is. It's a guy who has this like horrible grin that's permanently on his face. I can't remember what happens to him, but there's some kind of thing that occurs that makes this happen. Um, but the guy they have, uh, I think it's Conrad Veidt. Mm-hmm. Um, He's got like jet black hair and a big fucking grin. And then he has like dark circles around his eyes because it's a black and white movie and they want his eyes to pop out. Um, so he looks dead on like an old school Joker. Um, and like, so he was the inspiration for the look of 
the Joker in like the 30s and 40s. And then Heath Ledger, when he did him, what did the Joker was kind of pulling from that 30s, 40s Joker, which in turn is pulling from the man who laughs. So uh, anyway, a little bit of trivia. Like I said, I don't particularly like the movie, but this actress does show up in that as well. So th- in other words, that movie will not be showing up in a, in a future Uncanny Cinema episode. <laughs> I mean, I don't plan on it, no. <laughs> All right, so uh, let's talk about some of the freaks. Let's throw out uh, some of the people we see in this film. Who's your favorite, Fabs? Um, or what do you have thoughts I think, on? I okay, so like, I thought the uh, okay. Let me get his name. Sorry, um, I liked. I mean, I liked. I liked uh, Pinhead. Um, I also like the half woman, half man. Um, yes. Yeah. Um, and then who's the one who like on the table in the famous scene with the the big wine? Isn't that Schlitzy? Oh, that oh, the, is the Master guy. Blaster. That's oh, okay. that's Angelo uh, Rosito. Okay, he was my favorite. He was my favorite character. Yeah. That wasn't amazing. He's probably character. the most char- charismatic. Yeah, I mean, he, he was great. I mean, he 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 was not just in. He wasn't just Mad Max. He actually had a lengthy career since then. So. Or since freaks, so yeah, he comes off well. Yeah, and I mean, I thought Hans, I thought Hans really was a great performance. Like genuinely, it, it I think is great in it. Hans and Frida both, I think, real life siblings. Yeah, these are the dwarf characters, and and in the film, um, they are engaged to each other. They're siblings in real life, but um, they're engaged to each other. They're not related in the film. And um, Hans has a fortune guy who played Hans actually. Yes. Hans actually pushed for this movie to get made because he wanted, because he saw, because it was based on a story and he saw this as an opportunity to do something else as a little person. Mm -hmm. Like I could actually be in a movie with a story instead of just being, you know, some background character or something. Right. Uh, Yes. So Hans, uh, I mean, he's really the crux of the, the story in that he, has a fortune and uh, he gets essentially like sort of played by Cleopatra who is in cahoots with the strong man at the, in the circus Hercules. And they are going to swim. She's going to eventually marry Hans for his money and take his money. And she's going to, I mean, she's going to poison him to death and take his money after they get married. So uh, Frida, who's very understanding, I would argue, through all of this, as she watches Hans yes. get, she's cool. like, she's pretty cool about it for quite some time. But, <laughs> you know, I think that also plays, though, to, like, I think that's, like, a really interesting way to tell that story, though, because the way that Frida acts is, like, she sees it for what it is, but she, and she knows that, like, he has, like, an maybe an insecurity about being a dwarf, and... Cleopatra preys upon that and Frida understands it and like loves him for it still. And like stays with him for this. Like, I don't know. That's like a really complex telling of that relationship where it's not just like, Oh, I'm jealous. And like, I'm pissed. It's, it's actually like very nuanced. And like, it's the, like you were saying, Linton, it's like, that's a story that only gets told from people who have that perspective. And Totally. You don't get that a lot. You really don't get stories like that. So, again, for it being 1932, it's like a pretty incredible story that, like, I don't know if I've really seen much else that tackles it like in that way. Um, and the and the crazy thing about that that plot is that like 
she's like, he needs to figure this out on his own. Like he he like right. he needs to work his stuff out. It's not like, hey, like she's she's tricking you. Like, don't you get it? It's like he already like it doesn't matter what she says to him. Like she she knows that he's chosen Cleopatra, and like unless he makes that that switch, uh, yeah, it, nothing's gonna change. Right. Yeah, it has to come to it on his own accord. I I also liked just thinking of the other freaks. Uh, the guy who has no legs and walks around on his hands moves fast as shit. Johnny X. Johnny X. Yes. He's so fast. Uh, he, uh, He's super fast. Yeah, there is a guy. There's a a, a young guy named Johnny uh, Johnny Eck, I guess uh, E C K. Um, he's known as the half boy in the film. He just has like a, a torso and no legs, and he walks around on his hands. So he's a very striking image uh, in the film, and uh, he's got a couple cool scenes that he pops out. They all so do I'd at say the him, end, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll, we'll get there. Mm-hmm. So I'd say him, but um, but the uh, the one I think that's just so interesting to see on screen is his name is Prince Randian, and yeah. he's I think in his forties or fifties, and he's bald with a mustache, and he's like uh, like forty or fifty year old like black man, and I I didn't see where he was actually from, um, I can't remember uh, where, but. He has no arms or legs, so he's just a torso, mm-hmm. and he has um, like some kind of like body sock essentially that he wears. But he's able to like move his body around, and we see him essentially like kind of like crawling place to place. But he moves like you know he's done it all his life, so he just uh, you know you see him moving um, kind of effortlessly. But there's an amazing scene in this where he has a cigarette in his mouth. And he, with his lips, with the cigarette still in his mouth, he's like opening a pack of matches, moving it around, mm-hmm. pulling out a match, striking the match, like inch, you know, centimeters from his face, lighting the match, laying the lit match on top of the box of matches, and then lighting his cigarette and then blowing out the match with like just his breath like an inch away from the flame. And as Steve said earlier in the original cut, he also rolled the cigarette himself. Um, They just cut that like for time, but yeah, it's just like, and it's so smooth. Like he's done this like a thousand fucking times because I'm sure he has, but it's just amazing. It's amazing to watch. Yeah. It's just like so fascinating to watch. Well, like um, even Um, like when I love Prince Randy. Yeah. Like, uh, Prince Randian's great, but even like you said, like um, when they show them using like uh, their foot to drink and eat, or uh, you know wh- whatever yeah. they're they like what they're able to do given their circumstances is like fascinating, uh, impressive, and just like but not portrayed in a way where I'm like you know I'm like ooh gawking at it. It's like no, it's just like I, I think it's very clear that they wanted to show him lighting that cigarette as like a show of like this is what i do and there's you know it's not this is just like plainly what it is you know yeah i think i think it's like i think it's both like this is his normal life but also this is an amazing skill like i mean because like a person with arms and legs could could learn to do everything he did um they just wouldn't you know but he had to learn how to do that 
And so I think it's just kind of fascinating because it works as its own little like bit of like carnival magic kind of thing. Also throw out Prince Randy and had five kids. So there's that. Wow. That's okay. Amazing. Good for him. <laughs> I mean, hey, man. Super yeah. potent. Yeah. I, I did read that he Super had, potent. Yeah, I read that his son was carrying him around on set. And so I knew he had a, at least a son, but five kids. Yeah. That is uh, yeah, Prince Randy and got yeah. around. That's impressive. Yeah. That's impressive. Good for the prince. More like a king there. <laughs> All right. So, um, yeah, we, we've been dancing around the plot. We can probably just kind of dive into it. Um, the central plot, as Steve alluded to, is there is a dwarf named uh, Hans, and he is engaged to another dwarf named Frida. This is the brother sister, um, you know, the actors, and so they kept the couple very chaste in the film because of that. Um, but uh, but they are a couple at the beginning. There is sort of like she's a like a sexy lady. Is the is Cleopatra trapeze? Have ever actually tra- is yes. she trapeze artist? Yeah. Okay. All right. So so yeah, she's she's presenting herself as you know very beautiful, wearing these lavish costumes, that kind of thing. But she is rotten to the core, as we quickly see. Hans is smitten with her, and she is uh, interested in Hercules. Hercules was with some other woman at the beginning of the movie, um, but she and Hercules, who is the strong man, you know, quickly kind of form like a sexual and financial partnership. And uh, yeah, eventually, she's, basically, she and Hercules just kind of like fuck around with Hans without him totally aware of it, and just like think the whole thing's funny. Oh, this guy's in love with you, and that kind of thing. But eventually, uh, Frida kind of stupidly says, "Oh yeah, Hans, real fucking rich." Um, and uh, then Cleopatra's <laughs> all you. over that. <laughs> yes. He, I know he must have said that. He swore me to secrecy to never say he was rich. Like, uh, maybe hold back. A <laughs> I don't here, trust Frida. you, but I'm going to tell you. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> but yes. Yeah, so at that point, uh, Hans had been giving like little gifts and things to Cleopatra, but now she knows there's some kind of inheritance. And so she and Hans are going to plot to like, she's going to marry. Uh, she, sorry. She and the strong man are going to uh, plot to, where she marries Hans, and then they will eventually kill him. And then she will get all of his money. That's kind of the main thrust of the plot. Everything else that's going on is kind of like the domestic life of the freaks and the other carnival people. So there's like kind of little threads that are going on around it, but that's kind of the you know key aspects. So wherever we want to go from that. Um, and then, yeah, then you've got kind of under that, as like the B plot, you've got Frozo the clown and yeah. uh, Venus, who, who I don't know what Venus her role. was with Hercules first, right at the very beginning. Yeah, okay, I, I okay, that yeah. confused me because I didn't realize Cleopatra and Venus were different people for like fifteen minutes, and then I I put it together. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, I also actually felt the same way. Yeah, I was. It took me about 10, 15 minutes to get my bearings because all the women kind of looked the same in it. And so I was, I was very confused as to what was going on, but not the bearded lady <laughs> or the half man. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so then um, you're, you're introduced to Frozo who's, a, you know, 
the real nice guy of the group and like the the one who empathize like sympathizes the most with, or, or empathizes with the the freaks and like treats them as equals and um is beloved by them so then he gets with venus i've got a thing on frozo that i've never like known what the hell the movie's trying to get at here because mm-hmm. i've seen this multiple times so frozo's talking to venus and she's all pissed off because she's leaving hercules he's an asshole and and she's like storming off and frozo's trying to calm her down and then she starts arguing with him a little bit but there's clearly this sort of like meet cute will they won't they thing they're playing with of like oh, okay clearly like they're gonna get together mm-hmm. and they do but um she eventually kind of comes around during the course of the scene after being mad and she says you're a pretty good kid and he says you're darn right i am you should have caught me before my operation what did the doctors do to him <laughs> there's this throwaway line and it's like is he like Castrated? neutered is he did he like was there uh yeah it's like and and i it's such a weird thing to throw in there i mean there's other you know like mm. hints at sexuality and violence and stuff in this movie but that's one that's like thrown out there's never any kind of like oh if we could have children it's n- nothing ever happens the only thing that I can possibly think that it's there for is if he had something happen and maybe he sim- maybe the idea is he's sympathizing with the freaks because he sees himself as being outside the norm. But it's such a thrown out line. I don't I mean, I know almost wonder if it's, it's jo- I mean, for- I, it could be just a joke because he's like he's, the, you know, uh, the clown. So, like, that could be it, too. That- both him and the movie don't play it like it's a joke but maybe maybe yeah i took it as a castration thing that that's what my takeaway was but like (laughs) it totally could you you should have got to me before the courts chemically castrated (laughs) me (laughs) anyway i love you Uh... (laughs) (laughs) i can't go back to alabama yeah (laughs) yeah i don't know i mean you know hey uh being just a clown, maybe it doesn't pass in in this uh, circus. He's also got to be the dickless clown. I don't know. I have no. I, I, <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. But I, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, he, then he he kind of becomes like the. Well, I wouldn't even say he becomes the hero because he gets his ass kicked by Hercules and gets saved by the knife throwing. Uh, freak. So, you yeah. know, he. Um, I don't know. Yeah, maybe maybe it's it's trying to you know show that he's uh maybe more maybe he's like walking the middle i don't know that's an interesting maybe there's maybe this is all learned in the uh, 90 minute cut maybe there's a very graphic yes. castration scene and there maybe that's why <laughs> people were passing out at the test screenings <laughs> well uh i mean there kind of was but we'll get to that <laughs> oh yeah finally we can talk a little uh, bit about it yeah uh, so yeah, any, any other plot stuff we want to throw out? Go ahead, Fabs. I just like really enjoyed uh, the ensemble-ness of it. Like I liked going around with characters I wouldn't ordinarily see in a film in a environment that you're like never, uh, you you never experience. There's like very few movies that are focused on like circuses and, and that kind of thing. And so even though like not a lot of crazy stuff's happening at the end of the day it's it's a guy's being swindled um but it was just like 
it was interesting to be around. Um, and, and the fact that I guess they were freaks made it all the more engaging because like that wasn't what the focus was. It was like, Steve's already mentioned it. Like I liked that. I was like, oh cool. This is like essentially just a very normal movie and the actors happened to be, uh, happened to be like this. And so I was just, it was very engaging on so many levels. And then what happens at the end was just kind of the like fun twist that really brought it home. Um, uh, but yeah, I was just kind of, I, I, in thinking about it, I think this would be like a really interesting, uh, like limited series. If they did like a remake of this, I would love to watch a limited series. Did you ever watch American horror story? Uh, when they did the freak show, I did. And, I did, and like, I, it was. I think they they. My understanding is they pulled a lot from this. I've never. They watched did. It, they but. pulled a fair amount from it, um, and you know the main baddie was this like insane clown that was like a murderer. Um, yeah, but that I, was what actually. I, I would like it to be. I, a that's little where I tapped more out dramatic. on American Horror Story. I, yeah, got, I would like it to be a little like, bit more dramatic, yeah. like maybe more like a haunting of Hill House, where it's uh, the genre of horror that's like a little more respected. Uh, and more mm-hmm. traditional, but like in this world, I think would be cool. Yeah. Well, I know Gil, uh, Guillermo del Toro, this is one of his favorite films, and he actually has coming up in, I think, November, a movie, uh, Nightmare Alley, mm-hmm. which is also set at a carnival and came out around this time, uh, the original. And I watched that not too long ago, and it's it would make a good pairing with the, with Freaks. There's some cool stuff. I, I it doesn't go nearly as far as Freaks, and it's telling a different kind of story. But Nightmare Alley is like a noir that has some interesting things. So he's doing a, a, a remake of it because I believe it's based on a novel. And so I wouldn't be surprised if we see a little bit of Freaks seep in at the edges. We might get some like kind of references or kind of like a similar kind of vibe on stuff. So uh, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to that one. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we can uh, stampede to the ending here, I would say. I mean, uh, in all honesty, there's not a whole lot of plot up to like it, it's an hour movie. And it's this woman's trying to swindle this guy who's, you know, in love with her and she's never going to care about him. That's kind of what we're doing. And then we're having these other like little side stories. So there's kind of like two big set pieces. We already alluded to one, which is one of us. And what happens in that is they have this big dinner. All the freaks have this big dinner because uh, she's going to be marrying Hans, or she already has. I don't think they, – they don't actually get married, right? I th- um, think they do because she starts poisoning they do. him. Yeah. They do get married. Okay. That, that's what they're celebrating okay. in that scene. Okay. I wasn't sh- – I couldn't remember if, like, if it was like in celebration that they're going to or if they had, but Okay. So they've been married, and all the freaks are sitting around the table, and they uh, they decide to you know welcome her into the family essentially, and they start chanting, "One of us, one of us, gobble 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 gobble," and it's all like a celebration. It's all like very happy, um, but as Fabs was saying, you have this feeling that like eventually this movie's going to become a horror movie, right? Cause that's what people say. And so there's like this unsettlingness to that. Um, you know, I'm sure some people were unsettled by the, the freaks themselves in that moment when this came out, she's definitely unsettled by it because she's, you know, quote unquote normal and views herself that way. So them welcoming her in, she's like, 
fuck all of you. Right. I I, have, I want nothing to do with that. Her and reaction, she tells, man. She, yeah, and she mm. flat out tells them that. Like, they, they're going around and they have, like, a big goblet. They call it a loving cup, which is a, you know, a, a term that I only know about from this film. But um, where you, like, <laughs> you don't have a around, loving cup at Thanksgiving? Pass around a drink. <laughs> a yeah, loving the lo- cup. Yeah, the family I, loving cup. Well, well, there's this part where he says, we'll make her one of us. A loving cup. A loving cup. And there's, like, some fucking, like, school or something. Like, some, like, grade school or something uh, near near us, Steve. Um, over, you know, like I, I've, I've passed it before and for whatever reason, it's like has on the sign, like a loving cup or like loving cup is like the name of this oh, place. No. Like every time I pass it, I'll be like a loving cup, a loving <laughs> One cup. Of us. That's how they welcome the children yes. in the mornings. <laughs> Google gobble. So anyway, gobble. a freak. Centric so anyway, so yeah, school. so, uh, they're pass. <laughs> yes. Incredible. So they're passing this around and uh, they're all drinking from it and they give it to her. And then she literally just like throws all of this booze on them. So just like this big like goblet, um, just like right in their faces and screams at them and says they're dirty, slimy freaks and like tells them to get out of there. And then Hans is ashamed of her. And so then the movie just goes downhill from there for the characters because at this point, the freaks have been trying to be like, yeah, okay, she's cool. You know, Yoko's okay. She can join the band. Um, and then she does that. And then, so they're, they start keeping an eye on her. And I don't know if there was already suspicion of, of her poisoning. We, we, the audience, already know she wants to poison Hans. But I don't know if the freaks had any kind of inkling at that point but basically the freaks are now pissed and they are gonna like and and i think they're also now that they see that that's how she views all of them they're like oh so you don't give a fuck about hans right and so then they're like keeping an eye on her and then i'll let somebody else jump in so you boys are new to this so take us to the ending go ahead fabs okay so Hans gets sick. Well, okay, like, I'm going to admit something to you guys. We're in a circle of trust. I started crying. Like, I started tearing up a little bit when she puts, when they put Hans on her shoulders and yes. she starts parading him around. I was, like, heartbroken. I yes, I, I knew, th- I knew she was bad, like, obviously the whole movie, but I was just, like, so sad uh, because Hans is, like, you shame me, you shame me. And he's like so embarrassed because these are his people. This is his family. These are the people in his yeah. life who have accepted him for who he is. And he thought like he finally found a woman that's like this beautiful, talented woman to love him. And like she gets hammered, makes out with Hercules, and then like throws wine at all of his friends. And so he's just like destroyed. And then humiliates and just, him by giving him, yeah. putting him on her, yeah, her, yeah, her, and calls her, him a yeah. baby, and like carries right. him around like a child, and it was so sad. Um, yeah. But yeah, so he like passes out then because like they've already started, like he he passed out because he drank too much. And no, then, no, no, she was poisoning him at the dinner. Oh, okay, yeah. thank you. Okay, that, yeah, that's what she does. Okay, because she says he drank too much. Thank you. And yeah. so then she's she's giving him medicine in quotes. Um, but Hans is already on to her. Like he knows, he knows what's going on. And so, um, I think one she, of them like, is looking through the window when she's giving it to him the one time in the wagon. Yeah. The guy I liked who, who had the, the loving cup. 
Yes. Master yes. Blaster. He's, yeah, yes, yes he, Master Blaster. He knows what she's doing. Um, and so I, 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 you don't see it. So this might be a scene that got cut where he fills Hans in because then Hans in the next scene knows like what she's well, doing. Well, see, Master Blaster run Barter Town. So, you know, he's, he's on top of all. <laughs> yeah, that's right. right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think because uh, uh, then the doctor comes and well, the doctor comes and says he's been poisoned. So he's like lying yes. in bed. Doctor comes in now. Now the freaks are like, okay, yeah, right. And like everybody's kind of looking at her, like, and she she gives like the most like guilty look in the world too. Right. Yeah, yeah. she's like, like just like so obvious. <laughs> right. Yeah. Who me? <laughs> right. Yeah. Where he's like, hey, yeah, like he's been someone's poisoning him, and like just five <laughs> minutes ago, she was like, you fucking freaks, and it's like, uh... Get the fuck out of here! Also, also, the freaks are all on top of it, and the doctor, like, isn't like, hey, Wait anyone know who might be poisoning her? Or he poisoning never, him here? He never he questions that. He's just like, there's a poison happening. Uh, yeah. Must be one of those natural poisons. <laughs> Lots of freaks get poisoned, what can I say? I see this all the time. Uh, yeah, so he, um... Luckily, he comes to his, uh, I think Hans comes to his senses there where he's like, well, I think the only person giving me my medicine might be poisoning me. <laughs> so he's, I think, yeah, and then you're right. Yeah, not really any red herrings in the plot there. No, yeah, it's uh, pretty evident. And uh, <laughs> so even if he doesn't have a conversation with uh, Master Blaster, I think he ends up uh, putting it together. But then um, at, then he refuses the medicine and... Uh, then he has so so she tries to give him the medicine he refuses or no 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 he takes it and spits it into a napkin then yeah uh then he has a conversation with master blaster and you can tell that obviously they're plotting something and um then everything's kind of put into motion at that point when the wagons take off for like the next town so then that's kind of like where the climax is coming in where the circus is up and leaving and it's like during a thunderstorm and so the wagons are like and shot really well too oh i will tell you this man like that thunderstorm scene from beginning to end is like some of the best stuff you'll ever see and, and for like a horror movie the scene where like they're all all the freaks are encroaching in the mud yeah on hercules yeah. well let's yeah let's, let's build let's build up to that so uh prior prior to that the uh some of the freaks are there hanging out with hans and they're kind of watching uh over him a bit and his new wife is like all right time to go go away so i can poison him again (laughs) and uh and he and hans gets out of bed and she sees that the freaks aren't leaving and you know she's like trying to be insistent and then she sees that the tables have kind of turned and Hans demands the bottle from her dress because she's been hiding this little poison bottle. Oh, I, I guess like right before he demands it, two of the freaks pull out weapons in the most casual and horrific way. Like mm-hmm. it's, I forgot how well this plays, but one of the freaks, uh, just like one of the dwarfs uh, in the film, uh, like one of the secondary characters, we don't see a whole lot. He just pulls out a switchblade mm-hmm. and starts polishing it. And then Johnny Eck, the half boy, pulls a fucking like Luger out of his coat and is just staring yeah. her down. And it's just like done like the acting of both those actors in that moment. It's like 
it's it's when the movie goes to oh okay something's happening now yeah mm-hmm. like like and they sell the hell out of that moment and she's she does it really well too she's like oh shit and that's when um hans demands the poison bottle from her and then um basically from there it's trying to her trying to get away and meanwhile hercules has been sent to kill uh what's what's the venus 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 has like known some stuff overheard some stuff you know kind of challenged them and basically thinks that hercules and cleopatra have been poisoning hans and correctly and so han or uh, hercules has been tasked with going to her um you know what would you call it her carriage or whatever yeah, um, her wagon her trailer uh her wagon and killing her so uh so basically you have two things going on you have hercules is going to try to kill her and then you have cleopatra has had the drop on her from some of the freaks so whoever wants to pick up from there go ahead pebs let's do let's round, okay, round so, table this bad boy okay perfect <laughs> um so okay so we're at the point uh the wagons are like all in motion it's kind of like a rainstorms going on like the whole atmosphere is very cool in this like final night showdown um what hercules is yes hercules busts so yeah sorry so hercules like leaves his wagon and he just like kicks in the door right of venus's right like the names and then so he's attacking venus and then uh What's the clown? The the clown comes and comes to her aid. Uh, She runs. She gets out of there and they start wrestling. Hercules and and the freaks are all starting to like gather around these two, like these two points. And they're it's so good. They're just kind of creeping, 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 creeping. And then uh, they're underneath the wagon and Hercules is on top, like basically choking the, the clown to death. And then all of a sudden, one of them just flings a blade into the side of Hercules and yeah and like hits him precision and he's he's out they're they're carnival folk yeah the clown (laughs) gets out of there and Hercules is just kind of just like trying to get away like on the ground he can't stand any longer but they're just all getting closer and closer to him and meanwhile you have Cleopatra who's like run off into the woods and Hans is leading the charge on that and these are some of the best shots in the movie we're talking about. So this is all during a rainstorm. Yeah. Uh, a couple of the wagons wreck and like turn over. And you see the freaks are like crawling through the mud, walking yeah. or crawling, depending. Some of them are doing different things. Um, all of them have a weapon of some kind. Most of them knives. Johnny Eck, the half boy, has his gun, I believe. Um but they're all like just in the mud and the rain's pouring down and they're like crawling underneath these like wagon wheels and stuff. It's just some, and they have this determined expression of we're coming to fucking kill you people. It's awesome. Yeah, like, it there's, actually... there's no question of what's going down. Yeah. Um, but my absolute favorite moment going back, Prince Randian, the incomparable Prince Randian, who I read apparently would lurk in dark corners and frighten passersby with a blood-curdling scream while on set, which is pretty <laughs> fucking fantastic that Prince, Prince Randian was doing that. But Prince Randian is the guy without arms or legs and who lit the cigarette and everything. There is an amazing shot where he is crawling on his stomach as he moves it, naturally, 
underneath one of these wagons yeah and he's got a fucking knife in his teeth yeah right. and oh i love that shot more than anything it's so good it's so good the shot that i do love that one the shot that i loved was when all of them are under the like they're they're all coming really in on uh hercules and there's like four or five of them under the wagon at this point and there's like a lightning strike and so it like lights up for a second and like you see them all like under the uh wagon as they're like coming like close it's like beautiful beautiful horror shot just fantastic um where it's like oh you think we're freaks like you haven't seen anything and um you know it's like okay we'll show you what a freak is and I I um I actually the mud it was interesting the mud is so deep in that it actually reminded me I don't know why uh it came to me in this moment but the scene in Jurassic Park when the jeep flips over yeah and yeah, Lex and that. Tim are like yep. in the mud it reminded me very much of that and I doubt there was any thought to that but it very much felt like that so um you know the mud becomes this like really weird like just like the, it becomes like a really strange part of the climax and uh just adds like this weird element to it where like because you're so close like because some of the characters are like dwarves or they're you know don't have legs or whatever and so like the mud is so close to the characters and like hercules is crawling around that like you just like feel that like i don't know there's something about it that just adds like a lot of like just well you're you're on their level in a way yeah yeah and like they're they're you know they they have the upper hand basically right yeah and like you know now they're you know these are characters who to this point have been pure and now they're in the mud with the with the villains yeah and so hercules gets his i wish that we could have seen what really happens to him in the original cut but i think what you just assume he's he's dead so you just you just assume that they kill him yeah cleopatra runs implied yeah it's implied that he's killed Cleopatra runs off. Several are several dwarves are uh, and, and other freaks are following her, including Hans. I had to like rewind. I was like, "Oh, is that him?" And and he is. He's he's going after her. So there's a little bit of a discrepancy with some stuff they stuck stick on at the end. But um, but yeah, who wants to uh, tell us uh, the finale here? So I'll just tell you. Okay, so I'll tell you the one that was left out. So basically, well, there's two things. So then you 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 few years later you meet up with Hans and he's like a Bruce Wayne character basically in his mansion where he's got a, <laughs> he's got a butler and he wants nobody to come see him and uh, wants no part of the outside world. So he might be Batman by now, who knows? And, but Frida Frozo and Venus come to Frozone? Frozone. <laughs> yeah, I keep thinking that Frozone comes and, uh, Frida and him reunite basically and um, Frozo and Venus go off to do whatever and so there's a nice happy ending for Frida and Hans basically and then so at the beginning of this movie I guess I should say there you're you're at a carnival you're at like a sideshow at the beginning of this movie before you're ever even introduced to the main characters and there's like this you know guy who's like come on come all see the freaks of blah 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 and so he's carnival like barker. Enti- the carnival barker and he's bringing all these people in and he like shows people this sort of like pen and you don't see what's in it okay just a woman screams she's horrified 
Yeah, some yes, exactly. Um, because it's like you know what it could have happened to this once beautiful baby. I think he says even. Um, and so you you're like, okay, I don't really know what that is. But then, at the very end, you come back to it. And what has happened when you look into the pen is truly one of the most horrifying things that will stick with me forever. <laughs> so I thank you for that. I love it. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I was just looking at pictures of this uh, before we recorded. I was just like, fuck, I will be thinking about this forever. It is, it is super a haunting. They tar and feather Cleopatra. They take out her tongue. They disfigure her face. They cut off her legs and they yeah. uh, b- mangle up her hands and basically turn her into a chicken. So she's like a half chicken, half woman <laughs> type creature. And she just lets out this like horrifying, like animal noise that is it's just like a clucking sound that she's. Yeah. I will, yeah. What I it's like a clucking sound. And what I think is kind of most on a, on a review. I've seen this several times. But yeah, so you get this horrifying shot that lasts maybe 10, 15 seconds or whatever. But the crowd is looking down on her and they're all shocked and terrified and everything. But then the last we see of her is like clucking. I take that to be she's fulfilling her role. Like yeah. that's what she has now. Yeah. Right. You know yes, what I mean? Because right. like you well, know, she wouldn't the, be there her, otherwise. It's implied her tongue. Right, and it's implied her tongue has been cut out, but like the sounds she's making are like a clucking sound, and it's like, well, the freaks couldn't have forced her to start making clucking Correct. sounds. Correct. Yeah. So, th- so the implication I think is, this is what I got. I'm I'm the chicken woman now. So cluck everybody. You know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm horrible. Yeah. You know. It's you like think, right. she has to do that now. Do you well, think Hans that... banged her post chicken? <laughs> Ooh, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Or maybe Hercules. Well, no, he was killed. Uh, yeah, Hercules maybe. was murdered. It's possible. Um, or Prince Razdian or whatever. Uh, I can't. Was it? Ra- it's Razdian. Randian. 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 Maybe Prince Randian, since he was such a Lothario. I don't know. Yeah, poor. He, he might, he might the, have uh, the loving cup on her head, and then. Yeah. Got weird. <laughs> Pretty sick. <laughs> but yeah, so that is uh, but, well. That so, is the. F- the one of the fi- the final image is uh, it's it's between Hans and Frida and their like reconciliation thing. But that's oh, okay, the final, so that like, wasn't sure. I couldn't image, remember what. But, I, yeah, yeah, I couldn't remember what happened first. But no, that's okay. Cool. So to your point, I was going to say to your point though about uh, Cleopatra. I think you're dead on on that because a she would have nothing else she could do at that point. Uh, but then right. b and you, I've been saying is like the whole time trying to. I want to get it out. The second thing is in the original cut they don't kill hans or uh sorry hercules the freaks castrate him and in that final sequence he's singing falsetto in like that yes carnival scene so he becomes like a you know eunuch and uh uh castrato so like uh in uh like ancient greece and stuff there were castrados which were you know, castrated like younger men and they would have higher pitched voices. So they had these beautiful voices because they were not able to uh, become like sexually mature fully. Okay. Uh, which I don't, I don't think it would, would work because he, yeah, he was, think so. you know, like 35 or whatever he was, <laughs> but, um, but yeah. So in the original version, I don't think, 
I don't know if you actually would have seen them doing anything, but that is the end result would have been him singing, uh, you know, uh, high pitched. So you would have been like, okay, I see what they did is mm-hmm. I think what would have happened from what I read, you would have seen more of them attacking her though. So I think you probably would have seen the freaks start to like cut her up or something. And that stuff got cut out because from what I read, there was more of the attack on her right now. She basically just runs away and they're following her. So those were some of the things that were changed from what I read. The carnival Barker stuff, I think was added. Um, I think the original way it was presented was almost like the freaks had their own freak show kind of thing. And maybe she was part of it. I think the carnival Barker stuff, they added the, you know, the beginning and the end to like kind of bridge the stuff with her, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, the the epilogue where Hans and Frida are getting back together that was done to soften the ending because if you listen to the dialogue in there Frida's like you tried to stop them Hans you just yeah. wanted the poison back and that's not in the original ending the original right. ending is just Hans wants to fuck her up at the end and that's yeah. why he's chasing after her <laughs> but they wanted they wanted to soften it and so yeah, it's they... like oh no Hans is a good guy everybody and so they they filmed that ending <laughs> and so uh so they put in this thing of like that he didn't actually want her yeah dead. That, that i w- actually noted that i thought that w- it was a really forced line because it was like what do you mean yeah there was like a yeah. guy with it like what did he think was happening yeah it's totally like a, i and i i had known about that but i forgot that hans is with the group who's chasing after her and it's like well that's fucking bullshit of yeah of course I, he's right. going I to kill her that, yeah because i saw him chasing or i mean um, i guess they don't kill her but yeah i saw him chasing after her I'm like, what are you talking about? He was leading the charge. He like helped plan. Really this. wanted that poison bottle back. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have to prove it. Um, but yeah, so uh, it says much of the sequence of the circus entertainers attacking Cleopatra as she lies under a tree was removed. So yeah, basically all of that's removed because we never see her lying under a tree. We don't see anyone attacking it's her. Twenty They're just minutes chasing her. And it's horrific. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I, I I mean some of this like you know the like the you'd see a little bit more, maybe a minute or two there in the ending, you would get, there's a, there's an older lady character who looks after some of the freaks we see at the beginning. And from what I read, she sort of has like a museum at the end. And I think that's where Cleopatra ends up. So I think they tie that old lady back in at the end. That makes sense. I think that's kind of the, the, the payoff. So there's probably some stuff at a museum that got lost. It was probably her like showing people around and then she probably shows people Cleopatra's and then the, the strong man, that's probably how it originally played. And there might be books out there that go into more detail of what's been cut, but yeah, like somehow there's 30 minutes out there that we don't see. And uh, yeah, it's just unfortunate. Like, I, I don't really care much on the domestic stuff. It's good what we do see in the film. And if there's some really good stuff, cool. But if it was like an extra 25 minutes of domestic stuff, I don't know that the movie needs it. Mm-hmm. But any of the horror shit, I want back in there. Find yeah. <laughs> it and put it back in the movie. <laughs> well, hey, Amazon bought MGM. So like maybe when they're going through the warehouses, they'll find it. <laughs> Give it to us. Although I will say, I actually I don't think I would have preferred. I mean, it would be cool to see, but I liked the utter shock of them showing her without knowing at all 
what happened. I think I think you still wouldn't have known until the end. I I think it's probably that the the old lady character was guiding people around, and maybe you saw her like with freaks like then they had like a happy ending kind of thing at the beginning instead of a wrap around with the carnival barker i i i think so i i don't think you would have seen her until the end i think that would have still okay. been held back that was good okay. that was a great reveal because they st- by starting the movie that way i'm just like okay i know something like insane is going to happen in this film and i love not knowing what it was until and and i was impressed for it being a 19 like i know it's pre-code but like for it being a 1932 film, it was genuinely horrifying, like, what became of her. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Super it's, uh, impressive. I, I, yeah, I would, I would uh, very much recommend, If you obviously I would recommend that people, you know, if they're listening to this, to watch the movie. But then also, as soon as you're done, just go on Google Images and look at the photo of Cleopatra as, like, her half-chicken form at the end and just stare at it for, like, two hours like i did and just think about like it's steve's screensaver now <laughs> i airdropped it to an entire baseball stadium of people i i just sent it to everybody <laughs> i could find <laughs> little league baseball <laughs> they gotta know uh, gotta all right know. a few a few other things to throw out here uh, before we wrap up so um the failure of the movie actually did hurt todd browning's career unfortunately he only made, I think, like uh, four movies after this, and and maybe a couple of them were, were under a different name. And I read that he had some trouble like transitioning from silent era to talkies as well, uh, even though Freaks is fantastic, and it's definitely a talkie. But he did make a, a few other films. He made a remake of London After Midnight with Bela Lugosi, which I've never seen. And when I was reading up on him, I was like, oh, I should watch that. So I've added that one to my list. Um, but yeah, he retired early because he just like he wasn't doing well in the industry after this was a big failure, which is unfortunate because he was he was like a big silent director and growing, you know, like Dracula. He makes his mark and has like one of the biggest horror pictures of its day. And still, I mean, people still revere that movie and he could have like launched into the talkies and continued well. And then, you know, Freaks happens. And even though it's seen now as like a classic of horror and of its time um it just didn't do well and the reaction to it and it just hurt his career um we talked about some of the things this movie has inspired um american horror story and those south park simpsons wolf of wall street moments uh there's also the comic strip zippy the pinhead which uh pulls its imagery from uh, hmm. schlitzy and uh, a couple of the other characters in this and so the way that character zippy the pinhead is depicted is straight from freaks and then uh, there is there are two semi-remakes of this. There's a movie called She Freak from the 60s, which I saw years ago, and it's real bad. Not enjoyable <laughs> in the slightest. And then there's a movie called Freak Show from 2007 by The Asylum, the famous oh. terrible studio, The Asylum. And oh. I saw that the reviews on it were, like, horrible. I'm sure it's just utter dog shit. Um, so those are out there. Um, and then... A couple other things uh, I pulled. I, I saw a couple like contemporary reviews of the time. So Harrison's reports wrote that quote anyone who considers this entertainment should be placed in the pathological ward in some hospital. So that was one review. <laughs> Love it. Uh, the Hollywood Reporter called the film quote 
an outrageous onslaught upon the feelings, the senses, the brains, and the stomachs of an audience. And uh, Variety mm-hmm. said the story, quote, does not thrill at the same time, does not please, since it is impossible for the normal man or woman to sympathize with the aspiring midget, and only in such a case will the story appeal. So See, that was a pretty, pretty bad review up. from Variety. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, those I are agree. some fucked up reviews where, you know, again, it's... And even, like, there are... Uh, I was on Rotten Tomatoes looking at some of the more modern reviews of the movie, and it's like, I, it doesn't go to that extent, but it very much is like, this is hard to watch, like I was saying. And it's just, yeah. like, I, very weird to hear. The New York Times one I read was a pretty... From, I glanced uh, yeah, through there, it. Yeah, there it were. Was like it, it wasn't totally. Yeah, it wasn't totally critically derided. New York Times and a few other places were basically like, "This is shocking. This is you know horrific." But basically, it's doing what it's setting out to do. It's impressive. It's interesting. That kind of thing. So there were some critics who were on board at the time. So it wasn't a total like, you know, a, avoid this or you know, right. I won't wouldn't touch this with a ten foot pole kind of thing. Um, but yeah, I, I pulled out the like the worst ones where it was like, oh, okay. Like, wow. Okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, anything else you boys want to add on Freaks? Just loved it. I don't think so. I loved it so much. Yeah, Thank all you. Right. I think it is uh, all right, very so much one of my Would you recommend? Yeah. Would you, your favorites, what? Films? Um, Horror films? Uh, I would say that, that's a, that's a that's a big get. That, that's a huge yeah, it's a huge leap. No, I would say it's one of my it's one of my favorites that I've seen recently. I've I've been trying to watch older stuff. I'm I, it's a, I know it's a huge gap sure. in my in my movie knowledge, and so I've been trying to watch older stuff. And I've been for my spookening, of course. I've been trying to watch some of the older uh, horror. And um, I would say that, like, this has become instantly one of my favorite older, like, classic horror uh, stuff. So, yeah. Oh, yeah, it's I, it's one of my favorite older films. Like, I mean, definitely films of the 30s. Um, you know, it's it's very high up there. All right, so would you recommend Freaks? Uh, 100% yeah, absolutely. It's, it's so good. And I hope Steve goes, like, heavy into pre-code and becomes, like, the expert of pre-code films and just then that means i'll become like insufferable on twitter that means i'll become <laughs> a real dick on twitter so <laughs> you'll know when that happens pre-code my letterbox pre-code will be messed dude. up yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> but yes i would absolutely recommend this movie oh yeah 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 not without a doubt like uh it's um i mean gosh if you're a horror fan it's like must see if you're just a fan of good movies and movies that are you know movies that um i guess are you know are are trying something different or are innovative or are just like well-told stories i mean you could go as simple as that with this yeah of course you you'd love freaks it's a it's a great movie um modern audiences probably have like a different view on it there's a reason why Kate became big again in the sixties, I would say. And now modern audiences probably have like a more sympathetic understanding of like what Browning was going for. Well, what's interesting, uh, I'll just throw this out there. I never knew this before digging into the film, but 
part of the reason it's been argued that it blew up in the 60s in an underground way is because of like drug culture because the term freak started to be used by okay. druggies they started to self-adopt the term freak as you know like kind of like a a, a a way against the the norm against the the standard culture the standard boring culture and everything mm-hmm. um so if you look up stuff the 60s and 70s a lot of times you see like freak being used um you know both against hippies and things but also hippies self-identifying uh hunter s thompson ran on the freak power ticket for instance when he was like running for mayor in aspen so like it became uh like a term that they're using so I think the the argument has been that a lot of those people kind of unearthed freaks and it was like, oh, okay. And they started to sort of sympathize and see like, oh, well, they're like, you know, outside of society the way we've been thrown outside of society. And then from there, it's been like culturally reappraised and everything down through the decades. But I thought that was really neat. I had never heard yeah. that. Okay. Oh, that's cool. All right. So for myself, I would absolutely recommend Freaks. Uh, I think it is definitely one of the best movies of the 30s. Definitely one of the best movies of the 30s that I've seen. One of my favorite older horror movies, if you'd say like, I usually have kind of like a delineation point of say like 60s, late 60s or so past, you know, 60s up to present. I own a lot more movies from that point onward um pre mid 60s or so it starts to get more sparse just again haze code um <laughs> you know but there are great films uh during those eras it's just you know harder to find and um you know it was just tougher but freaks definitely stands out for me um i think it's a great horror film i mean it, a lot of it plays as like a drama and kind of thing but as we said there's just this overarching kind of feeling of something bad's going to happen uh performances are great um basically you know none of these people were really like truly actors um but they like sell the hell out of it and then they're just living their lives and so they're doing these amazing things on screen and so it makes it all authentic as steve said at the top browning's background in carnival life definitely adds to it and then the final 15 20 minutes or whatever is just top notch from the uh google gobble on down <laughs> It's mm-hmm. uh, it's just amazing. So, uh, and but I would say the the best thing that I'm hearing uh, this whole episode is that both Steve and Fabs are just one thousand percent on board. I didn't know how this would go. I would think I figured you would at least appreciate moments, mm-hmm. and I knew you would get a kick out of it. But uh, I am I'm slightly surprised, but very pleased that you were both just like, no, this is fucking amazing. I'm just I'm <laughs> yeah. here. I'm here for it. Well, the like, next tattoo. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I got Google Gobble on my back, uh, just like across my entire back. I got <laughs> tramp it. stamp. Yeah, yeah. Google, Google Gobble <laughs> tramp stamp. <laughs> um, no, I mean it's it's truly one of those movies where like uh, it, it's it's unlike anything you've seen from that era. Where you're like this this is the pin, maybe like the pinnacle of that era for maybe that decade or or whatever for that genre. But like you see it as something completely different. Where you're like this is doing something just on a completely different level. And, uh, yeah, no, I appreciate yeah. the hell out of it. So you're, you are betting a pretty good average when it comes to recommending the old stuff to me. So I'll keep, keep it coming. Cause I, you're, you're opening me up to a new world. I appreciate, I appreciate it. All right. All right, cool. All right. Uh, wrapping up here. So that's, uh, that is our classic freaks, our look at the classic freaks here. 
Um, we have Can I Find This? So um, this movie is available widely on streaming. It's on Amazon Prime, Microsoft, iTunes, Vudu, YouTube, Google Play, HBO Max, DirecTV. It is for free on archive.org and Vimeo that people have uploaded. I can't say for sure which of these services has what version. I mean, they're all basically the same version, but some of them have that intro text. Some of them won't. Uh, I've read that sometimes the ending gets presented a little differently and like the stuff with Hans and Frida is like, you don't get dialogue. You just kind of get them reconciling Hmm. silently. So I don't know. So there's some kind of like different cuts and whatever, but, but those are all out there. There is a DVD that was released in 2004, the one that Steve has from me that's <laughs> yes. been sitting there for two years. <laughs> it is now out of print. It's been out of print for a while, and uh, so you can't really get it. I mean, you can get them pay more than they you really should be, um, but sadly, they have let that go out of print. I did see that MGM, uh, or no, I think it's Warner Brothers owns owns these some of these older MGM films. And Warner's released this DVD in 2004, for whatever reason, is out of print. And the thing that pisses me off to no end is that there is no Blu-ray for this film. I do not understand it. It is a big cult classic. Like, I mean, film people know it and love it. Horror people love it. It is perfect for Criterion Collection. It's perfect for Warner Archive or like Arrow Films, or Screen Factory, like any of these specialty presses, you put out a thing, you know, a, a good Blu-ray cleaned up version of Freaks, you do some retrospectives on it, you do some recreations of the finale and stuff, like the way it was originally done or whatever, mm-hmm. people would eat it up, and they would buy yeah. it for, you know, like 40 bucks or whatever they're putting it out for. I cannot believe that no one has picked it up, that Warner's hasn't done it, or had like... Criterion is what I would most want to see this on because they would do the hell out of it. Um, but sadly, it doesn't exist. It's not on Blu-ray. I'm hoping that eventually it will come out for that format. All right, so that uh, does it for Freaks. We have uh, another Halloween one coming up next. We are going to look at The Amusement Park. This is a George A. Romero film. George A. Romero, famous for Night of the Living Dead and all the other Living Dead films. Um, you know, Dawn, Day, uh, Land. Land of the Dead, and then Survival, Survival of the Dead, and... Uh, Diary. Diary of the Dead. Those he are didn't have anything dead. to do with... Uh, <laughs> yes, the last two were not. Land is fun, though. Land is good. No, I like uh, He should have yeah. stopped there. Yeah, Uh, he didn't do the Return of the Living Dead, but there were some people who were connected with the series that kind of spun that off, and um, and he directed many other horror films, you know, throughout his career. But most famous for the uh, the the Dead series. Um, So this is a movie that he shot for. I'm gonna have to dig into it. I only kind of know basic idea of it, but it was it was like kind of a PSA, and it's about an hour, and it's called The Amusement Park. And it's kind of like an elderly man being terrorized. I don't know exactly what's going on, but it's some kind of like horrific amusement park thing that I think is like being presented metaphorically. It was like basically gone from the public for decades and rediscovered in the last number of years. 
and then it's gotten like it got a theatrical release like a limited theatrical release like last year and it's come to shutter and it's currently on shutter and we'll be playing through the month of october i'm sure so yeah is this I like don't a know. is this like an origin story for that creepy old man from the six flags commercials <laughs> maybe <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm purposely, uh, yes, I'm purposely like not, I, I'm going into it without knowing a whole lot about it, but the crux of it is this is a George A. Romero movie that has essentially been lost and has been rediscovered. And, uh, I'm very curious to see, uh, you know, what it is and, you know, how it all plays out. So yeah. I've got a big horror crew joining me for that one. And uh, that will continue on our Halloween viewing for this October. So join us next time for The Amusement Park. See you then.